0: Well, good morning, Baylor Church. Morning, morning. Randy, I love you, brother. You've been part of this church family for how long? How many years? Almost two and a half. Feels like 25. In, in the best possible way. You know, this isn't like a... This is your last Sunday here. You're moving. And uh, we love you been on quite a journey with you. You've you've changed this church. We hope that uh, we've rubbed off on you a little bit. And uh, we love you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Now, I I wish I had the time and I wish I actually, I wish I had the knowledge and the perspective for knowing when every single person... uh, moved away, that we could do that and have those moments. You know, I I wish that I had the the ability to know where everybody's... We could arrange that. We could arrange that somehow. We haven't figured that out yet, so... Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's right, yeah. You know, I I wish that I had the ability to know uh, what you went through this week. You know, I, I wish I had the ability, you know, in my mind to know exactly where every single one of you were in your relationship with God, and the reality is I don't. Uh, it's impossible for me as just one part of the whole to, to have a knowledge, to have a, an understanding of the whole. And in many ways, we, we as a church, like every other church in North America, actually around the world suffers from autotopic nosia. Let me hear you say autotopic nosia. Go with me here. So this is a… It's usually caused from a damage to the funnel lobe of your brain, and it actually um, makes it impossible for you to identify your own, your own body parts. Uh, you could, you know, on a, on a graph say, oh, yeah, that's a left hand, that's a right hand, that's a left knee, that's a right knee. You could, you could notice it on other people, on, on mannequins, on, on, you know, on drawings, but it actually is this, this crazy, rare, documented disorder where a person is not able to recognize and to identify their own, their own body parts. Extremely debilitating, and so rather than being able to just reach out and grab a cup of coffee and give it a drink in the ways that, you know, a normal, healthy, functioning body would. Uh, It requires tremendous help from the outside. Now, in a moment, we're going to get into Scripture, and we're going to get into a famous section of Scripture where Paul talks about our growth, but he uses the imagery of a human body. And in the same way the human body can uh, begin to experience the debilitating reality of a broken arm, a dislocated shoulder, of uh, degenerative brain disease, uh, a a sprained wrist, uh, a torn ligament. And we know what that's like, how hard it is, how dysfunctional it is to have something in our physical body gone wrong. He says that actually we were knit together and we were created, and God longs for us to be a spiritual body with Christ as the head where we would grow together, where we wouldn't have auto-topagnosia, We wouldn't have proprioception where we couldn't recognize where we are in relation to ourselves, that we would actually know who is grieving so that we can grieve with those that grieve, who's rejoicing so that we can rejoice with those that rejoice, that we can know where people are so we can meet them there and, and take them on a journey towards Christ that we can grow together. This doesn't just happen automatically. And Christ says, I'm committed to your growth. We're in a series right now called Come and See. It's this invitation that God gives us to come and see what life is like, come and see what what giving looks like, and today, come and see what growing looks like. Why don't you open up your Bibles? We're going to go to Ephesians 4, and as we get to Ephesians 4, it's uh, verses 11 through 16. And as I read this, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, if you don't own a Bible, there's a, a red book in front of you in your pew. Uh, if you don't own one, take that home with you. We have people every week that take us up on that. We would rather have it in your hands and in your life and open and transform your life than closed and in the pew. And as we get to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it's on page 951. Let me read for us this great letter written to the church in Ephesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is truth for us today. Again, beginning in verse 11, the gifts He, He is Jesus, by the way, the gifts Jesus gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature and building itself up in love. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, any C.S. Lewis fans in the house? All right, love C.S. Lewis. Uh, In case you don't know, C.S. Lewis uh, had this amazing ability to take uh, story and in delightfully wonderful and creative ways, and even some simple ways, communicate the truth of who God is, of who we are, the reality of this world that we live in. And the Chronicles of Narnia, which many of you might know is kind of his you know, most well known in the public sphere work. I uh, was a number of books. One of those was Prince Caspian. And, you know, and in that story, there's this lion character who represents Christ. What's his name? Aslan. 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 Tomato, tomato, right? However you say it. It's Christ, right? And there's kids in this story. We're the kids. The lion is Christ. And there's this great and powerful way that C.S. Lewis reveals biblical truth through these amazing, amazing stories. One of those moments, actually, in uh, Prince Caspian, is this moment where Lucy sees Aslan and says, Aslan, you're bigger. Aslan responds, that is because you, Lucy, are older, little one. Lucy responds, not because you are older, but you're bigger. Aslan, the Christ character, looks at us and says, I am not. But every year you grow, you find me bigger. What a beautiful picture. In fact, we actually see this throughout all of Scripture. There's this thing that we, we look at and we say, well, that's small. That makes sense. I, I've got it figured out. What's next? And as we grow, as we spend time in God's Word, as we spend time in God's community, the, the riches and the wonder and the, the splendor and the glory of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, the Apostle Paul, at the tail end of this section in the book of Romans, which perhaps is the most theologically rich and dense letter in all of Scripture, he gets to this point in Romans 11. He says this, it's almost as if he drops the pen… After trying to wrap human language around who God is, it's almost like he drops the pen or has the scribe drop the pen, and he just breaks out in worship. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him to receive a gift in return? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. How big is God in your mind? Can you wrap your mind around God? If you can wrap your mind around God, you've painted Him into a box of your own creation. And you're missing the great glorious splendor of who He actually is and who He invites you to be. And actually, there's this great and glorious truth and there's this reminder that Apostle Paul gives us that if we actually uh, submit our lives to this truth here, it'll change how we grow. So, some of you take notes. Some of you do it on paper. Some of you do it in your mind. I want to organize our thoughts just around three different categories. So, follow me here. Uh, The first is this, then. Let me hear you say, "then." then. Second, Now. Third, we must grow from now to then. All right, I'm going to do it again. Then. then. Now. now. We must grow from now to then. Now. Oh, nice. You're Wow, I wasn't expecting that. That's good. Okay. <laughs> then, this future… Re- oh, no, oh, hold, on. <laughs> hold on. I'm like trying to go into it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Should I just end here? We got it now, right? Then. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look at verse 13. The Apostle Paul is speaking to Christians, those that have given their life to Christ with the hope that those that have yet to give their life of Christ will get to see a glimpse, would firsthand experience, front-row seats to what is going on here. He says that one day there's going to be this future reality. Then, off in the future, we're going to see, verse 13, all of us, underline that. If you own the Bible or if you're going to take that book home or you're going to leave it there, underline it for somebody else, underline all of us. All of us. All of us. There's this future reality that all of us are going to experience something in the future. Then. Not just some of us. Not just the leaders. uh, Not just those that vote a particular way. Not just those that look a certain way. uh, Not those of a particular age or stage or marital status or or anything. All of us. He's speaking to Christians, those that have given their life to Christ Who said, Jesus, you are my everything, you're my Lord, my Savior. There's this future reality where Paul says, then there's going to be a day where all of us will come to the unity of the faith. He ties in all this growth to unity. There's going to be one day where there's going to be no more fragmentation in the church, that the body of Christ will not be divided. It will not be a war with itself. There won't be worship wars. There won't be theological wars. There won't be those that prefer, prefer, you know, prefer a morning service or an evening service. <laughs> that this whole idea that we've kind of broken ourselves up, and even as Martin Luther King Jr. said that the, the hour on Sunday is the most divided hour of the week... The Apostle Paul says there's going to be one day then where that will no longer be true because we will be one, we will be unified, and it's going to be all of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus. But even more so, continue on, we're going to have knowledge of the Son of God. This thing that we know in a part, as James says, we're going to know fully. We're going to know who He is. We're going to be overwhelmed with His glory and His splendor and His strength and His humility and His truth and His love. But even more than that, we are going to be mature to the measure of the full stature of Christ. The Apostle Paul says one day in the future, then we will be able to say that we are whole, that we're complete. That we have perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect security. That all the things that we've been striving for and longing for throughout all of our life that we'll finally be able to experience. There's going to be this future place then where we won't say anymore, I wish I would have done that. This future place then where we won't say anymore, I wish I would have done that. We will be able to walk in the room completely secure of who we are. Extending grace and love and truth that we would be part of courageous things around us. Paul says that's the reality of where all this is headed if you've given your life to Christ. But then is not now. And you've got to understand where we are now. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look. In fact, it says in verse 14, he says where we are now. We must no longer be children. Some translations say infants. Uh, How many of you uh, know right now a child or an infant in your life? Put your hands up. Okay. So, you know, kind of a common experience. We're around them. Now, what's so interesting uh, about this is that when we go throughout life, typically we're not condescending to a one-day-old, right? Right? Uh, we don't expect a one-day-old to be able to do their taxes, to be able to drive, to be able to perform uh, quantum, physic mechanical operations. We don't expect that, right? Uh, and we kind of give a little, you know, grace to uh, the fact, you know, you know, infants in some ways, they're, they're extremely selfish, right? Am I right or am I right? Am I right? Okay. Me, 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 right? Mine, 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 right? It's, it's this thing that we see all the time, right? So... Infants, human infants, physical infants, are are inherently selfish. They're self-absorbed. The center of the universe revolves around them. They're not altruistic. They're not serving. They're not considering somebody else. You know, one hour old. They're not thinking, you know, what can I do for my neighbor? Should I love them as myself? They're not doing that because they're infants, right? Uh, But beyond that, they lack discernment. Oh, I experienced that at 6 a.m. this morning. (laughs) My wife come true story. You cannot make this stuff up. Uh, She comes right in the room. Truth Barrett's choking! Eight months old. And she's fishing in his mouth, getting stuff out. And I won't even say it because, you know, it's church, but uh, we have a cat, an older cat, uh, that drags stuff out of the, uh, the litter box sometimes and stuff drops on the play mat sometimes. It oh, just, you know… I have the gag reflex, it's just awful, and now I'm thinking about myself, not my son, so I'm selfish, I'm still infantile in some ways, but my son is an eight-month-old, lacks discernment to pick some stuff up and put it into his mouth, and I'm sweating, I am sweating, I'm sweating, I really am. And so, if we're good parents, if, operative, if, you know, we would, we would uh, try to discern for him, we would not allow him to be in situations where we'd have to discern those things themselves. You know, infants, they, they're not only selfish, but they lack uh, discernment, and they're also not very steady. You know, they wobble a lot. Uh, they don't have the strength to hold themselves up. And just in the last uh, week, my, my eight-month-old is, is taking quite a tumble, um, Because he doesn't have the ability to to, to hold himself up. And the Apostle Paul uh, says, You know, that picture that we see all the time of these selfish, these lacking discernment, uh, these lacking uh, stableness, Uh, that's us, by the way, right now, spiritually speaking. And what's so powerful about that metaphor, and actually, it's so so counterintuitive, it's so countercultural. This image that the Bible gives when you give your life to Christ isn't that you just become a nice person, you become new. You are a new creation. In the same way, in the history of the world, nobody has been born as an adult. Uh, Nobody has been born with a Ph.D. Uh, Nobody has been born being able to, um, you know, fend for themselves. Uh, nobody has been able to be born knowing how to drive. Nobody has been able to be born with, with complete maturity. Why do we think that's true in the spiritual realm? Because the truth is that every single person, when you give your life to Christ, in that moment, you are one second old, two seconds old, three seconds old. Spiritually speaking, the moment you give your life to Christ, you are spiritually Selfish. And you look at God as just something there to serve you. You might not use this language, but you treat him like your assistant. You're the center of the universe. God, would you bless my dreams? God, catch up for what I'm doing. Spiritually speaking, the Apostle Paul says, and I love this. He doesn't say you. He says we. As one of the greatest leaders in the early church in the first century, he lumps himself in that category. He says that, you know what? We, we are all children. So if the Apostle Paul, who has this amazing knowledge, who lived his life for Christ, if, if he considers himself a child, if he's like six years old, four years old, what does that make me? Did I just get home from the hospital? Uh, what does that make you? Are we still on the warming drawer, you know, spiritually speaking? Every single one of us, we live our life to Christ. We are so self-centered. We lack discernment. And the interesting language about that is he says that there's there's doctrine. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look at verse 14. Right now we're children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine. He's talking about teaching in the church, false teaching in the church. We're buying it. Like my eight-month-old who was eating... We swallow some things that is harmful to us, that isn't good for us, that doesn't nourish us. We take things hook, line, and sinker. We believe lies about ourselves. We, we misunderstand situations. We don't allow the truth of God's Word to narrate something. We, 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 believe, we believe that the world or cancer or, or unemployment or death has the last word and we, and we lack discernment. And the Apostle Paul goes on and even says, that, you, know, you know, as children, as infants, we're not steady. We lose a job. We fall down. We get diagnosed. We fall down. A prayer is an answer. We fall down. And so when he says we are all children right now, we are all infants right now, first of all, first and foremost, we've got to normalize spiritual infancy. Two things, two truths. We have to. We must. It's absolutely essential. Can we agree, church, that we would be patient with other people's spiritual immaturity? We have to do that. In the same way, you wouldn't look at a one-day-old and say, come on. Why can't you invest in the right annuities? Why do we expect somebody who just gave their life to Christ to be able to share their faith in a hostile situation, why, why do we expect people, you know, within the first year of following Jesus that they have all this knowledge? We've got to be patient with other people and their spiritual immaturity, but we've got to walk with them on that journey because in the same way that an infant shouldn't always stay an infant, they've got to take one step in front of another. They've got to, they've got to learn to grow and how to, to crawl and how to walk and how to talk and how to feed themselves. There's this patient longing, but we need to be patient with others on the way. But here's the second truth. We've got to be impatient with the spiritual immaturity in our own lives. You have to. The problem is right now we flipped it. We're impatient with others and we are patient with ourselves. We talk about others. Oh, so-and-so and and I can't believe that. This is why I'm going to leave the church. And we, we talk about how messed up everybody else is and we justify our own behavior. When we do that, it's a sure sign that we are spiritually immature. And Paul said, you got to flip it. Be patient with those that are growing. Because we're all growing. we got to be patient with one another. Church, be patient with me. I'm an infant. I'm growing. I have not arrived. Be patient with me. Let's be patient with one another. But let's own the growth in our own lives. Because the moment you recognize something in your own life as immature, then that means you're actually growing in maturity. So there's this place where you realize, you know what? Uh, I'm going to aim for the toilet rather than in my diaper. You know, I, I'm going to serve others rather than just serve myself. You know, there's this, there's this truth that we've got to grow and we've got to say, you know, I, I, I have to grow. I'm going to take ownership and I'm going to surround myself with people that will help me grow, who will be patient with me but won't let me off the hook. You see, there's a then, there's a now, and the Apostle Paul says that we must grow from now to then. And here's how we do it. Open those Bibles back up. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, just pause there. He doesn't say figure it out on your own. He doesn't say if you want to grow from now to then, just look within, because it's all there, and just draw out the best of yourself on your own, in your own street. He doesn't say that. He doesn't just say, you know, just do this in isolation. He doesn't say you can do this by yourself. He says you've got to do it in community. If you want to grow from now to then, you've got to speak the truth in love to one another. And it's both those things paired up in sync, in harmony. It's not about just speaking the truth. You know, some of us are really good at just speaking the truth. And the problem is that people don't hear the truth, they just receive the blunt trauma of our truth that we shove down their throats. And the opposite happens. They don't grasp the truth, they reject the truth. And so when you speak the truth without love, you're actually, you don't care about truth. You care about being right. You care about winning. You care about putting somebody else down. You, you care about uh, somebody being stomped down and you on the inside, them on the outside. If you don't speak the truth in love, it's not true. And also, this isn't just a truth that is our own personal opinion or our own personal relative truth. It is the truth that's revealed in Scripture. This is the footing. This is the, this is the rock. This is the foundation for which we can see the world. You know, the world looks at a broken relationship and says, It's done. God looks and says, this is the perfect fertile ground for me to do my reconciling work. God looks at something and says, you know, the disease, inoperable, incurable. Well, not only am I going to heal perfectly this side of eternity, but I I can do a miracle right now, God says, so let's pray for it boldly. You see, we've got to speak the truth. Grounded in Scripture, in love. I've got a friend, uh, he's the best I've ever seen at this. Uh, He carries a Bible with him wherever he goes. He is the person that replaced me as the high school pastor from the church that I came from. And wherever he goes, he carries a Bible around. People ask him questions all the time in ministry and in life. And what he does is he opens up God's Word. He says, you know, let's, let's find out together. And he has this habit of going to God's Word. And as he speaks and as he listens, as he has a posture of a learner alongside somebody else, he says, you know, out of love, man, you know, this is how I see it in my life. How do you see it in your life? Knowing that this is truth, what challenges you here? He doesn't say, this is my opinion. He doesn't say, you know, my perspective. He says, this is what God's word says, and this challenges me. Why don't we grow in this together? So it's the truth and love, but it's not just love without truth. You see, some of us, we are loving and we lack truth. We don't want to be bold in the truth. And so love without truth actually isn't very loving at all. We care more about the person liking us, accepting us, We don't want to offend. We don't want to to critique. Uh, We we, we put ourselves down so much we think, you know, "Who, who am I to say anything, right? So loving without truth isn't actually loving at all. The Apostle Paul says that we must speak the truth in love to one another in a very practical way that we would get into God's Word, in a very practical way that we would get into God's community And allow both those things into our life. That we would read Scripture and allow it to read us. That we would know those in our group, but we would allow ourselves to be known. Did you know there's over 50 one another passages in Scripture in the New Testament that talk about community, that talk about, you know, pray for one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. Confess your brokenness to one another. You see, the more that you practice those things, they're like little baby steps, little baby steps towards spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. He goes on. Take a look at this. Open those Bibles back up in Ephesians 4. But speaking the truth in love, this is verse 15. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is not Frankenstein. The head is not stapled on. You think about the complexity of the human body and the neural pathways that almost instantaneously send messaging from the brain to your fingertips and back, and the amazing intricacies of the circular system, the respiratory system. You know, they're starting to to find out that there's these little things called gap junctions in our body. I said this last week, but the the ends of them are like apertures, like the end of a a camera lens. They open and close, and they communicate with other gap junctions, which which are the size of two microns wide, so small. You can't even see them with the naked eye, and they communicate with one another. And these gap junctions are in community throughout your entire body. And when that aperture lens breaks, when it loses its ability to communicate to other cells, it freaks out. Science is telling us. And it does the only thing it knows how to do, it begins to multiply itself. It's broken. That's how tumors grow. That's how, how cancer grows. Did you know, you know, you know science, is, science is catching up to what is revealed in Scripture. Science and faith. I, I, I love Perry Lenaro has been teaching this great class after the 11 o'clock service. And uh, today we're going to explore, I think, the, the, the creations of the universe. Did you know that actually scientists are finding out that some of the basic building blocks that we have inside our body, which humans can't create, which don't spontaneously get created, that those elements actually were created at the, the creation of the universe. So you have things in your body... That literally were created at the creation of the universe. And Ecclesiastes says that God has written eternity on our hearts. It's absolutely remarkable how complex the human body is. All these things that we have. Did you know that only 40% of your body is made up of human cells? Do you know this? <laughs> that the majority of you is not human? Do you know this? You don't know this? I didn't know this last week until last week either. Forty uh, percent of the cells in our body are human. Sixty percent is non-human. It's either fungi or bacteria. Did you know that the word in the Hebrew language for ground or earth is adama? And in Genesis 2, it says that God reaches into the adama and pulls out the ha'adam. It's not a masculine or feminine word, it's from the Earth creature. Did you know that you intimately are tied to God's creation, that actually you are intimately tied to the Earth? There's been studies shown where people have tried to raise animals completely free from bacteria, completely free from the outside world. And what do they do? They get sick. They begin to die. You have no idea the, the intimate design of your career and how dependent you are, not just on other people, but on God's creation. And for those that were here right when we gathered, right in the very beginning, uh, I mentioned that it was Earth Day. It was started in 1970. It was when uh, um, a politician said, you know, we, this thing, we've got to care for it, so we've got to get politics involved. And somehow, some people believe that environmentalism uh, is a, a, a political issue, alone, and it's not. In fact, God cared about the environment long before 1970. And in fact, it says in Genesis 2 that God uh, asked Adam and Eve to, to care for and cultivate the earth. Did you know in Deuteronomy 2020, 20, it's like old school Hebrew scriptures, uh, it says this If you must go to war, don't cut down the trees, God says. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, that that God is reconciling the world, the cosmos, to himself. That there's something broken in this world, and it's not just us and God. It's not just us and each other. It's not just us and ourselves. It's us and creation. So God is reconciling, is redeeming, is renewing, is putting together and making healthy all things And he invites us to be a part of that, to be ministers of reconciliation. So in a very practical way, here's something that we can do. In addition to getting into the Bible every day and getting into community and allowing those things into our life, here's something that we can do. It's perfect timing. It's Earth Day. The world's thinking about this. Let's learn something together that maybe you didn't know. And let's see this. It's not something popular or just, you know, political, but this is actually a response to the life that God calls us into. So did you know that right now, on average, the amount of plastic that you and I throw away, 50% of it, we touch once? It's called single-use plastics. And the majority of those single-use plastics are given to us for free. A straw and a glass of water, a plastic fork at a restaurant, a plastic plate. Uh, We don't know these things uh, because we're so used to it, but the majority of the world and the majority of human history has survived without plastic straws. And yet we're like, no, I can't imagine drinking without a plastic straw. Did you know that the amount of plastic that we throw away has created a number of these massive patches of garbage in the ocean? You know about this? Uh, One of them, the biggest one is actually off the coast of California, deep in the Pacific Ocean, and guess how big it is? It's twice the size of the state of Texas. Twice the size of the state of Texas right now is a massive, massive, massive island of of trash, mostly plastic. God has called us, every single one of us as followers of Christ, to care for and cultivate the earth, to be good stewards of creation. Right now, in the middle of the day, because of all that trash, there's six times more trash than animal life that in the heat of the sun, it raises the surface temperature of the ocean to 273 degrees. But it cools down at night. It's okay. It cools it down to 100 degrees. And so as a result of all this trash in the ocean around the world, it breaks down. You can't get rid of it. Uh, It breaks down in what they call microplastics. Microplastics has worked its way into the food chain. It's in our drinking water. And when we ingest it, it will forever be with us. So, a spiritually childish move is for us to say, I don't care. Uh, a spiritually immature thing would be to say, that's not my problem. Uh, a spiritually immature thing would be, yeah, but it's convenient for me. A spiritually immature thing would be to say, I can't make a difference. Christ says, It's okay. I'm eating you now. I'm patient with you. But I'm taking you somewhere. I'm taking you to a place where even how you consume food and goods and how you interact with people actually is a reflection of what it means to be my follower. About three years ago, I decided when I learned this uh, to refuse the plastic straws at restaurants, not because it was popular or anything, I just thought, you know, this is in direct response to what it means for me to follow Jesus. I've got some friends who are like, I, you know, I, I think those cups are dirty, so they, they literally carry with them metal straws. I have friends who take with them metal silverware, and when they go to fast food restaurants, they have their own silverware. I know some people who go to the grocery stores. Now, mandatory in California, but who go to the grocery store with bags, who see this as a, a direct response to who God is in their life, as a, as a way to follow Jesus. So in a moment, we're going to have our worship team lead us in a song. And I don't want you to sing along. Please don't sing along. What I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to pray. Pray. You can pray however you want, but maybe start with this. God, how do you want to grow me now? God, what's my next step now? And maybe as you pray, you feel God prompting you to get more into God's Word. Maybe some of you are prompted to get into community. Maybe some of you are prompted to learn more about how we can play our part in caring for creation. But Christ is in the same way that we need each other to grow. He says, I need you to accomplish my purposes of reconciling, renewing and restoring all things. Let me pray for us in this time. Loving God, I don't even know where I am now because I lack the maturity to have even perfect self-awareness. So I ask you as my heavenly Father to speak to me, to cause some of these words of this song to resonate deeply with me. Jesus, I thank you. That you meet us here and now, but you call us to a deeper place, a higher place, a place where one day then we will be able to say, wow, look what you've done. Meet us in this place, God, as we turn to you in Jesus' name.